have a small aspect of my style nailed down, I think, but it's mm-hmm. just ever evolving. And there's a chance I go back to my old styles of photography mm-hmm. as well. I don't think there's any rules to that. It's Inspiration in Action, a podcast for creatives, and I am your host, Dasha Pierce. The goal of this podcast is to allow you to be inspired by and learn from other creatives, both the mindset for and the practicality of creating great art. Here you will find raw, honest conversations about the artistic process, mind struggles, supporting yourself as an artist, and becoming successful at what you do. And if you're new here, I'd like to give you a warm welcome to the community. Here, we believe that photography is much more than gear and technical perfection. It's a means of making an impact, however big or small, on the world around you. And today's guest's art is a great example of how one person can make an impact with photos. Simon Lamette Cheng is an award-winning and well-selling conceptual photographer and a passionate gamer who, through a bit of playfulness, a bit of mystery and a great deal of visual effects, tells stories about things that are important in his life. We discuss why no story or topic in your art is insignificant, why you should be open to real conversations with your viewers, and what's the most important thing if you want your work to sell well. Hi, Simon. So, we have just met, but I do know that you have a background in gaming. Yes. You're a game designer. Uh, are you also a gamer yourself or do you just uh, do design the games? And if you are, then what are your favorite games? Oh, okay. Oh, wow. So yeah, first off, I do play games. Mm-hmm. I think you have to, <laughs> to work in games. <laughs> of otherwise, uh, they don't really uh, feel like you know what you're doing. But yeah, I've been playing games since I was maybe in, in my teens. Uh, so I've been a geek for a while, and I've actually started my photography uh, in when I was doing games uh, in, mm-hmm. th- in this particular company. Uh, uh, it's for a company called Rare, uh, as part mm-hmm. of Microsoft, mm-hmm. and so they were situated in the middle of England in Leicester. Um, so the office is in uh, the middle of. A countryside surrounded by mm-hmm. acres of fields um, because oh. they were quite secretive about the project so um, the history mm. was you know um, have lots and lots of land so none of the wow. uh, journalists can take photos through the window so, oh. wow. so, uh, so every few steps you take there's a hidden camera underneath a bush that stuff yeah it's kind of scary but it's okay now it's not so bad so my colleague had a, a camera at the DSLR um, so I actually always wanted to get into photography this was about eight years ago um, I know nothing about photography so you know it feels like a new toy um, I actually was really into uh, YouTube. So I kind of wanted to make films. I, mm. I, photography wasn't really my ambition. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, the, a lot of the tech now, you can create, you can create a really nice looking, looking footage uh, with uh, DSR now. So, mm-hmm. uh, so I got the camera with the intention of go out in fields and um, make a film. Uh, so then I realized I had no idea what a lot of the settings mean like the aperture, the speed settings, the um, all that kind of stuff. And it was really difficult to shoot manually, especially in England where the light's changing all the time. So Yeah, uh, I can totally feel you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of the same here. It's, I, I, you still feeling it? Sometimes I still get it. So, mm-hmm. um, so oh God, I really, really want to get the hang of it in the lights of having a second nature um, of you know, using my fingers and my head uh, with all that. Um, so I picked up a project called 365 Days. So you, mm. uh, you take a photo every day for a year. Uh, I tried it. I think I only lasted about a couple of months, but, it's, but. it helped me a lot. It, it, you, you go out there, you shoot every day, you try different things, you, you learn how to use your camera. Um, and you put it out there online. Um, so I was part of the, the Flickr community back oh, in yeah. 2012. Yeah. Uh, I think, so many yeah, people so who many, I know. Yeah. 
So I think a lot of the, the boom for conceptual photography was back then where you have uh, artists like Rosie Hardy or Alex Stoddard. Yeah, um, she was also an active member and I think I have found her there. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, I think a lot of people found her there um, mm -hmm. and take a lot of inspiration from that. Yeah. So, but that conceptual world opened a lot of eyes to me because um, back then I used to think photography was meaning um, almost like photojournalism or um, fashion I photography. Completely the same story. Yeah. Really? Okay. Yes, it That's was just common. my setting. So it was like street photography or documentary stuff and that was photography for me. That's right. Yeah. So to me, I wasn't really attracted to, to those things. But, um, but then again, I, I was more of a, a sort of a storyteller so that's why I was drawn more to film than, mm -hmm, than photography mm -hmm. in in regards to more of a fantasy realm where you put visual mm -hmm. effects over the top that kind of thing so that was what kind of films did you want to make for YouTube I actually was going to make sort of short action films mm, wow <laughs> I think With I was actors. yeah I think oh. I was drawn to um a YouTuber very popular at the time called Freddie Wong um, okay. It was very silly. It was just um, <laughs> little short action films where you shoot people and there's like these special effects and then there's this explosions. It was more for fun. It was just more, I think I was at the stage where I was being very silly because I was, mm. you know, I was more of a geek. So I was very fascinated by more spectacular scenes like action films and um, visual effects because my background mm -hmm. is animation. So I mm -hmm. did a lot of film in regards to animation but not technically film film so I was drawn to a lot of like manga uh, yeah, very explosive very like over-the-top action so um, a lot of my inspiration came from those sort of imagery mm -hmm. um, so you probably find that a lot of my images has some sort of childlike uh, essence to it or some charm because I draw a lot of my um, sort of fascination with mm -hmm. um, almost over-the-top uh, personas, but then bringing them down to more uh, realistic uh, worlds, like you know, our, rea our reality. Um, I think um, a lot of that comes through. And I think some people, when they look at my work, they, they, I feel like they, they have a sort of nostalgia feeling, but they don't quite know what it is yet. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, there's some sort of childlike charm to it. Um, yeah, I, I so, would yeah. agree. And when, in one of the interview you, of the interviews that I read from you, you mentioned that you used while uh, learning photography, you used a lot of old film tricks uh, from oh, George yeah. Melies, even. Like, could, could you please give us an example, for example? Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, a lot of the because I yeah. Uh, Films like Jason and the Argonauts, you know, where you superimpose mm -hmm. props into real life, but they shoot, but not superimpose, they actually shoot the, the, the props in real life. So, for instance, there is a, uh, a picture I'll bring up, it's called Discovering Grace. So, I don't know if you can see it. So, this is a yeah. picture of myself mm -hmm. in China. Okay. Um, so, those planes that you see at the top there, Mm -hmm. Those were uh, toy model planes. They were just this small. <gasps> really? Yeah. And then awesome. they're, not, they're not stock footage or anything like that. And then I use a fishing line that I tie up. I dangle it in front of the camera. So I shoot those planes from through the camera lens, uh, through all sorts of different camera angles. Mm -hmm. um, and I shoot it uh, in the same scene that I shot this. So all the lighting is the same. So, and the smoke as well was all within, oh, within the scene yeah so i had oh a smoke bomb um, that i shot um in the scene um, basically the most important thing for me is believability um, yes. so taking inspiration from old films they would usually shoot everything mm -hmm. on the same set yeah i actually share <clears throat> the same process that's why i shoot everything at the same time at the same oh, place yeah, but my props are not as complicated. I mean, I'm, oh, okay, that's quite maybe, uh, intricate. I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm doing. That's why I'm going with like origami stuff. And but sometimes I, I do have that. complicated sets, but I haven't tried uh, smoke or anything. But uh, what ha what you have done that sounds awesome. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm so happy that someone else shares the same <laughs> opinion oh, and process. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Your ability is incredibly important. It is. It's, 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 um, 
it just makes everything also falls into place a lot easier when you put it together in Photoshop. So you don't have exactly. to change the lighting so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of times you can spend hours on on that particular aspect and still make exactly. it feel not quite right. Exactly. Um, so it, it just makes the process a lot more interesting. And it also goes down well with um, people who ask you about your, your piece and then it's just like, oh, okay, wow, that's a lot of thought. Well, not a thought, a lot of thought, a lot of um, sort of activity behind the scenes that makes yes. it more, almost more fascinating than the, the image itself. Exactly. And I think that uh, very often people don't understand, like the viewers, they, or, or like beginner photographers, they also think like, oh, I shot this, I used this stock photo and everything, I, I did all the right things, but then something Mm. is off and many people that just don't realize that this tiny little light component (laughs) can be off and your the the result produced by your whole image is just non-existent i think you can compare that to uh, films as well nowadays Mm -hmm. where um, you see a lot of cgi in films and um, for the people with keen eye like myself and uh, a lot of <laughs> artists out there, they will feel like those films feel a bit like uh, almost very, very fake or very like odd compared to if you look at old special effects films like Star Wars, like back in the day where a lot of the spaceships were actually big giant models that they film mm-hmm. with a camera swooping in. And that almost has a very tactile feel, um, you know, and a lot of the Star Wars characters were puppets and the actors who talk to the puppets have a more of a connection compared mm-hmm. to actors with CGI. So um, there's a lot of like savvy audience out there now. Um, and then, you know, you you rather give them more authentic feel um, than the more post-process feeling. So I feel like it's the same with photography. If you give them a more a real you know image, then I feel like they're more likely to sort of believe it um, and sort of um, release their sort of uh, sort of suspense of disbelief in a way um, and just go with your image uh, more than uh, a very heavily processed one with stock footage and so on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and that's... I also feel since you're uh, into storytelling as well, for mm. your story to be impactful, it has to be believable, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Once you, once you break down that barrier, then people will pretty much believe whatever you put in there. <laughs> in their face so it's uh it's very important to me to as an image really to break down that barrier awesome and what is what kind of inspiration uh do you draw from games now so Plots or maybe some visual element or what, what a bit of everything i think mainly story well more like concepts so for instance the if I bring up the, the image that my cat is very known for, Lulu and I, so this one here. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that is actually inspired by Pokemon, do you believe? Wow. So, like, for instance, a lot of my ideas have, yeah. So Pokemon, for instance, is the core concept is the relationship between the person and the Pokemon. So it's almost like in, in real life terms, it's our ourselves and our pets. Um, so it's really putting that relationship uh, in real life and almost like disarming the viewer in such a way where they feel like this is weird, but at the same time, it's familiar. You know, we treat, some of us will treat our pets almost like human beings where, you know, they are, you know, our friends for life. And in the cat, you know, in Pokemon, uh, Ash and, and Pikachu are almost like the best friends in the world and the Pikachu will always be seen riding on Ash's shoulder or on his head so it's really that relationship that you can get away with in cartoons but and, uh, and games but you can't really get away with that in real life but if you put that into real life then it feels it looks odd but at the same time you understand it because the, the core concept is there from you know, in, from games and cartoons. Mm-hmm. So that's what, what I'm trying to do here. And then other things like a more horror-based games like Silent Hill, for instance. Uh, I do that here. So this is uh, this is an image called Turned On. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, awesome. I haven't uh, just, seen that one. You haven't seen that one. So mm-hmm. that was actually in the French hotel mm. um, when I was doing that show that you were oh. uh, doing <laughs> the year after. 
So, so Silent Hill is a horror game, um, and there's this character called Pyramid Head. So it's mm -hmm. this, it's a not protagonist, the antagonist, where he has this big giant triangle, mm -hmm. a pyramid for a head that he drags a big sword around with him. So he's this, this mysterious being that sort of chases you and haunts you. Um, but psychologically, he's also, he's actually part of your um, subconscious. So that's yeah. actually your enemy that manifests itself in physical form. Um, so this is, in a way, that's what this is. This is about um, sexuality, in a way, where I was in the hotel uh, in Paris, and I saw this lamp uh, in the middle, or in the corner <laughs> of the room, and it looks like it's been there for <laughs> 10 years. It's quite dusty. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I was just thinking that that lamp must have been there, and if it was a, a human, or if it had eyes, it must have seen a lot of things in this room. Yeah. So what if, you know, like a I put myself, yeah, yeah, I've witnessed a lot of things of, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, <laughs> what if I put myself into, you know, into that position mm -hmm. and no one mm -hmm. know, no one can see me, but I'm there. And so that's you know, an I awesome idea. I play myself like, <laughs> and it's also a bit of a, a humor involved where my nipple is the switch. So it's mm, yeah. switch turned on. Um, so yeah, there, there's many levels of that. Uh, I try to play it out like it's something else, but underneath those layers, there's another message behind it. Like you can never be too careful with what you do, or you know, there's mm -hmm. you know, there's always your subconscious um, yeah. that can manifest itself in any shape or form. So so yeah, that's an idea, and I tend not to like um, make it very obvious that these are game influence because then you're in danger of like. Um, Put a lot of dedication to, mm. to to that theme. I'm trying to make you know. I'm trying to take what's the core element of that message or that concept and make it my own. And I feel like that's what makes a lot of my work quite unique because it's from a very you know a very outlandish idea almost mm -hmm. um, into mm -hmm. a, a a real life concept. So so yeah, there's there's that, and a lot of the visuals come from a very uh, concept uh, artist kind of palette, I suppose. I. I look at a lot of concept work from films like Star Wars, again, going back into that, where they tell a lot of stories within one still. Um, because when I was doing animation, I was looking at a lot of storyboards, um, mm -hmm. artists. So um, you have a lot of well-framed shots that tell a lot of, you know, things between mm -hmm. the protagonist and the scene and so on. So I try to sort of take a lot of that um, education into my to my work. Um, mm -hmm. So some of my things appear almost cinematic. Um, so it yeah. has almost a, you know, a still film-like quality to it. Um, and that's why I, I kind of naturally go to um, without even thinking about it. And so, um, yeah, so, that's, so it's partly game, part film. Mm -hmm. my love my inspiration so. yeah um <coughs> how would you define your style oh uh kind of it's cinematic uh, mm. that's for why i uh, love love this word yeah right, yeah and uh i wouldn't i don't know uh it's quite hard to put my finger on it it's almost like mm. it's like a dreamy surreal i mean i could say all all sorts of words because my my style can will slightly change over the years, actually, because initially a lot of my stuff is very outlandish, uh, very conceptual, very dreamlike, mm -hmm. very whimsical. Uh, now it feels more raw-like um, mm. because I'm I'm trying to. But it's not on purpose, but I, I try. I tend to sort of try new things all the time. Mm -hmm. Like every year or so, I'll explore new sort of avenues but my core concept do it consciously or unconsciously about do both you? about mm -hmm. both i think it's to do with like i've, I've done a style then then i can only take it so far and mm -hmm. it's then i look at my portfolio and it's kind of samey in a way where mm -hmm. um and they're trying to create a uh another concept with a new style oh sorry let's put it this way what i'm trying to try to do is I'm trying to say the same message, but in mm -hmm. a different way, in a different mm -hmm. style, and see how that progresses. I okay. think that's what excites me to try mm -hmm. out new things, because if I stick to the same style all the time, then I'm, I'm in danger of like just pigeonholing myself um, as mm. a, a visual artist. Um, 
because I, I like to approach things in almost like an art director way where I try not to think of myself out in a particular style, but also I'm more like expanding my ideas into different ways where I could tell the same story, but mm -hmm. in a different fashion. And awesome. because a lot of the audience will also change, um, tastes will change. I'm trying to take what's, what's out there and then make it you know, sort of evolve my style so that mm -hmm. I feel it's, it's me. I know that yeah. saying that is almost like losing my identity, but I don't feel like it is. I feel like I, a lot of the core elements are still there like in terms of concepts and execution. It's more to do with like, it's like a singer. If you're trying to evolve yourself, evolve yourself through time, then you always feel like you're relevant. Whereas if you stick to the same style, which is, I'm, I feel like, there's no like uh, right or wrong in this case. Like you can stick to the same style and you'll be known for that style for years to come and I'd be appreciated. But I feel like I, I still feel like I've got a lot to learn. Um, so I still don't feel like I pinned down my style just yet. I have a, a small aspect of my style nailed down, I think but it's mm -hmm. just ever evolving. And there's a chance that I go back to my old styles of photography mm -hmm. as well. And I don't think there's any rules to that. I think it's more, I think I liked about the 365 project was that I was always trying something new every mm -hmm. day, mm -hmm. trying to test myself. And it's more like that buzz for myself to really try something new and try something um, that would push my comfort mm -hmm. zone. I think that's I think that's what it is. It's my I was getting comfortable for a few years in my zone, and I wasn't really challenging myself in regards to storytelling. So that's what I was trying to trying to find new ways to tell that same story. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, sorry for interrupting, but no, no, um, no, I'm I'm done actually. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, speaking about the message and the storytelling, I have two questions here. First of all, were you trying to send? Well, definitely, you're sending lots of activism messages right now uh, oh, yeah. with your work. Were you trying to do that in the very beginning? From the very beginning, that's one question. And the second would be, what other topics that interest you right now? You are very much into activism. What brought you there? Okay. So activism was, it's always been the top of my like, list to, to, to execute, but I was mm -hmm. never like, um, I never really had a sort of concept plan planned out, mm -hmm. so to say. So I usually... It's kind of like a, your personality coming out. Yeah. You know, I, in my, my personality, I was going through a lot of projects myself that um, I was trying to get through, but I wanted to execute the activism stuff in one go rather than scatter around. So I was there's a momentum going on. But I, it didn't really kick off until I went to Iceland, incidentally, mm -hmm. where I had a concept. It wasn't even to do with activism. But I think I had a concept to do with something else. I had a fishbowl that I carried all the way from England to, to Iceland in my suitcase and had some weird looks from uh, the people who looked at through my, my suitcase mm -hmm. and why I got a fishbowl <laughs> all the way there. So, because um, I wanted to create a... A space theme a series over there um because iceland was you know it's also a very beautiful place uh, mm -hmm. that feels almost alien like um, out of this world so so that was the idea uh, to go there and um sort of improvise my images but speaking to some of the local people there uh, there was an actual concern for uh, their environment especially for uh my generation where a lot of the industry is tourism and a lot of the ice that, that is the, the big quite a lot of the land there is ice is is melting away very rapidly every year compared to you know um, back in the days where the parents used to like um, just explore the area freely on ice so you know there was there was general concern and and because i can physically see it or they can physically see it year on year is a lot more prominent that the climate change has affected them whereas every other part of the world you don't really see it so it's not so much of an effect mm -hmm. um so their messages to me was quite quite strong in, in that way where and, and then i feel incidentally i wanted to send that message out as well uh, from my point of view so you know i i went out there and sort of improvised a lot of the, the concept of saying that the, the ice is melting and this astronaut um, who, who believed that he was in a different planet, um, he's actually on his own planet 
that is melting away beneath his feet and he didn't realize it until it's mm-hmm. too late so so that is the series then and from then on um when i came back to london and um uh, i started my activism series um using my surroundings in england so um it was so it was the case of like yeah going to a place where just the message is strong um and then coming back home and trying to relay mm-hmm. that message back in, into uh, from my series. Tell us about the project with Google. That was also activated oh, project. With Google? Which one was that? I'm trying to remember. I, I did one with Google where it's about a moving picture prize. Mm. Is that the one you're referring to? Well, yeah, tell about that. Oh, okay. So for Google and um, Saatchi Gallery, yeah. Um, so they they were doing a uh, a moving picture prize, which is mm-hmm. a it's almost basically a gift, like how to create a, a moving piece of art uh, through photography. And I think Google was trying this new feature on the Google Plus where you can have animated photos. Um, mm. So it's okay. more so they're trying to promote and market that through through Saatchi. And mm-hmm. um, I was um, so I was known. At, Saatchi uh, a month before that because I helped them launch their online um, platform okay. called um, Saatchi Online, I think. <laughs> Saatchi Art, sorry, sorry Saatchi Art. Right. And mm-hmm. so, um, so yeah, my stuff was in the gallery and um, they came to me and asked me, oh, they, they, people really like your underwater spell. Uh, which is a picture of me sleeping in my pajamas and yes. floating in the forest. You, you can show it. Oh yeah, it's, I think it's one of your most famous ones. It's funny that was that was taken almost eight years ago and it's still happening. There yeah. you go. There <laughs> it is. So it's called the underwater spell because it looks like it's underwater, but it's actually taken in the snow in the forest. <laughs> uh, so so yeah, that so that was I managed to um, take some. Of the outtakes of that image and put it together as an animated uh, image and so that was part of the, the show over there in mm-hmm. Saatchi. Um, I think one of the impressive things that people thought was that that was taken in the snow in my pajamas so they were quite surprised that I actually went out there um, and again going back to the believability that I actually had to go into these scenes myself and mm-hmm. take a photo uh, of me levitating so a lot of people were asking well, how would you do that and um, told him well, I had two chairs that I had to lie on top I had a remote control I mean at the time there wasn't um there wasn't any bluetooth connection so you had a remote that was only effective in two meters and I had to take a shot and then put the remote in my mouth every time pose oh. <laughs> and spit back out and do it again and then there were there were two ladies on horseback came to me saw what I was doing and asked if I wanted any help <laughs> so, <laughs> was finished after a minute of in the cold mm. um so yeah so that was the the story of that and then um I think a lot of people are still surprised that I actually went out there and did it I feel like yeah there's a lot of photos that you see that you superimpose yourself in lots of different places but this one I feel like people generally feel like a bit bewildered by it like Mm -hmm. they still don't understand whether I was actually underwater where Mm -hmm. they can easily believe that I could have superimposed that in underwater but they still Mm -hmm. feel like there's something odd and there's something a bit odd in in a nice way not odd Mm -hmm. in a Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this doesn't make sense yeah it it feels believable but at the same time I, I can't believe it yeah, you you take lots and lots of self portraits. Do you have any tips yeah. on on oh. taking a self portrait for beginners, for example? Uh, I would say get a camera that is Bluetooth, because <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I'm so old school. I'm using a, a Canon 5D Mark III. So at the moment, um, that can only be triggered with a remote if you want to take a selfie or a self timer. Uh, but a lot of the newer cameras that I've tried. Uh, the the mirrorless ones, for instance, uh, the Canon EOS R, that has Bluetooth um, mm-hmm. ability, so then you can take it with your phone, and you can also see yourself through your phone um, through the lens. So it's it's a lot easier now than it was about eight years ago when I was taking selfies. So that's a plus. Go go with um, cameras that do that for you. That saves you a lot of time because otherwise, if you were doing it like me, I would set up a tripod. Uh, with the camera and an object in the distance that you believe that you will be standing 
do a manual focus on that and then take a photo with yourself in that place then go back to the camera and make sure that it's in focus and then go back again and you take a couple of photos and then you, it's a process of um, trial and error so you end up probably wait not wasting but you're probably spending about an hour to making sure you get the shots that you want but with the new cameras now you can do it within 20 minutes max so <laughs> you can it feels almost like um a bit weird because it feels almost you didn't do enough for the day but you got what you wanted so it's, it's yeah it feels terribly sufficient <laughs> to be effective is it easy for you to work with yourself as a model or with the um, oh, yeah. models who... especially with covid now it's all it's all about me now oh. yeah of course <laughs> but yeah even before that i i actually find myself a lot easier to work with um, mainly because um, I can get the shots I want very quickly with the, the technique I was using. I would love to use models more, but I think at the time with the models I've used, I think it's be to do with my um, directing skills. Like I was very new at you know photography, so I wasn't verbally I wasn't really communicating. I believe too well to the models how I want things mm. to be. Um, so I tend to go with myself a lot more and also a lot of stories are very personal um so mm. it makes more sense with uh, myself being in there than my models um there will be concepts where i use multiple people so that's where i use models um to be in with a lot of my models were friends so they were again a lot easier to direct because the, um, they sort of understand what you you, you mm -hmm. want um so i like to try with more models in, in the future um mm -hmm. And I think it's that's one of the many things that I would like to sort of challenge myself with. And I think it does it brings a lot out of your work as well. If you've managed to bring something from someone, then I think you've done something mm -hmm. special for, for both yourself and the model really. Um so, Yeah. Uh speaking about your work being very personal and activistic as well, do you think that activism uh always has to be personal or like you need to feel some kind of connection, like you feel uh, felt it in Iceland, or can people just go with like with the things that they see on on the TV or online somewhere? And how do you choose your topics, like this topic about autism, for example? Oh, autism. So yeah, so autism uh, is a project I was always wanted to 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 do mainly because of well, my sister for one has autism she's mm -hmm. severely autistic so throughout my entire life i always um notice people struggling to understand what autism is even though there's a lot of that on the media um a lot of it comes down to um i think overwhelming people with information about what it is and the other side of it is that I always feel a bit frustrated that people don't really know how to approach people with autism. So people might find that they would uh, talk a lot much more loudly and a lot more um, pace-like um, to someone with autism or they treat them like um, someone with a different um, sort of condition. So because they there's no public understanding of it, it's a lot harder for someone else to, you know, treat, not treat, but to approach other people with autism compared to other conditions. So, um, so I want to take a project where I can communicate that a lot more effectively uh, in someone else's eyes. Um, so that way um, they can personally sort of feel that connection. So for instance, um, every aspect let me bring it up. Every other aspect of autism, because it's not just one thing, it's multiple things that contribute to autism. I will sort of take that aspect and bring it to life in, in one image and then let that be absorbed by the viewer. Let that sort of put the viewer in, in that person's shoes and then see the world in an, in an autistic person's eyes. So mm -hmm. therefore... Um, there's a, there's a, an empathy between um, an audience and the person with autism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, 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 I sort of, and I believe in other people's empathy to sort of act on it uh, in, in a way that they feel that they, they themselves will be comfortable. So that's how I tend to um, approach my 
so for instance um so this in- image here is called the autistic impression mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so uh this is about facial recognition so of expressions uh, so, so my sister finds it hard to recognize um, someone's expression whether they're happy or sad um to them my to my sister she finds it difficult to understand whether you're um really engaging with her with a smile or whether you're you're angry um and i'm sure for every other person um who doesn't have autism feel that is a bit strange to comprehend because how can you not tell that someone's not happy or sad and, and so on so so this image here is is the front of my front is my front but it's also the back mm-hmm. of my head so yeah, yeah. in a way if you look at someone it feels like you're looking at a blank face all the time no matter how you look at things so so that's the the message i'm trying to bring here so mm-hmm. you're putting yourself in my sister's shoes and sort of trying to see the world in their eyes another one is um so this one is called the rush of blood to the head so mm-hmm, it's a, mm-hmm. a bird cage awesome. um, so it's a lot of autism uh, sorry autistic uh, qualities is that there's a an overwhelming uh, sensation of senses so whether it's uh, noise or touch or visual stimulation um sometimes it's so so overwhelming like to us it just feels very normal to watch a film with a few flickering lights um but to autistic person it feels just like a a dance club where it's just overwhelming and to express that is almost like having a head full of like cage pigeons so it's kind of really communicating um a lot of the aspects of autism mm-hmm. um through the imagery and i put that out there in art fairs just to you know say you know what this is and it mm-hmm. actually connects with a lot of people surprisingly autism is not something a subject that a lot of people talk about in normal conversations anyway and once you already see that a good like 40% of people say mm-hmm. they know someone with autism and they and they they thoroughly understand you know what i'm trying to say and and it's almost an eye opener for me because it's, if you don't put something out there that talks about autism no one will bring it up because it's not really exactly their, that's their so true yeah. and um and so there's no topic that is not important so, so that's right yeah especially that's... like if it's important for you it might be important for someone else that's right and so that's that's really an eye-opener and um, even in the photography world um a good number of people will say to me oh my my sibling has autism mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and i'm glad that you you bring this out there and that really um to me that's that's a win for me that's an achievement that i've um would like to keep pushing forward uh, throughout my entire life as an mm-hmm. artist is just keep pushing that message out there yeah and um i even you know engage with a charity that deals with mm. autism the national autistic society here in, in uh, london mm-hmm. and yeah they were they were quite impressed uh with the idea and um they themselves are putting films out there that talks about mm-hmm. autism mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. i think a media needs to sort of change the way to say what this condition is and it's almost like a silent condition where it's out there but no one really thinks about it or talks about it so yeah yeah I love it because uh to me uh to my mind like talking to you uh activism can have different faces it's not about just taking the most um let's say popular problems like the world hunger or wars yeah. or something because people have lots and lots and lots of kinds of problems in their lives which are not that often talked about and when you find that something that is influenced in your life that brings maybe you some kind of pain and you want to put that message out there there is definitely a chance for other people to connect with that and to actually thank you for that yes. like hey thanks for bringing this up and uh well, you mentioned talking to people at art fairs and i'm really really curious about your experience there so if oh, we yes. could talk about a little bit about that uh, can you describe like how it is to be an artist who represents himself <laughs> at an art fair how yeah. are your conversations going with people who are buying your art what are they interested in 
and uh, like after that since now every art every other art fair is basically cancelled <laughs> yeah what what, what are you doing now what how are you promoting okay. your work okay so okay. first yeah. off um so the art fair experience um so that's an eye-opener but i think um, for anyone who wants to be an artist out there or trying to make a living um as an artist for one i would I definitely recommend trying to find a gallery before you go to art fairs. That sort of represent you as an artist in a, in a free manner because there's a very possibility that you'll find a gallery that will actually believe in your work. I think mm -hmm. if to have a gallery that's interested in a conversation at least, at least that way you know there's the chance for you to put your foot out there. And then once they show your work um, in their own galleries, it gives you an opportunity to talk to collectors and visitors alike to really gauge how they see the art world. And then therefore, like, it really makes you think about how you approach your art. World. Not, not in the sense of changing your style, because I believe that's obviously that's intrinsic to, to, to you as an artist, but it's more like how you market yourself as a um almost like a business person in, in, in that world and how to make yourself, you know, appear a lot more often um, in, in many places such as social media and in person as well, really gauging how people collect um, items. So it, it puts you in the perspective how you, for instance, if you're doing photography like myself, then you would consider how many prints, limited editions you would do to make it appear more attractive to mm -hmm. um, what, your what, what would be your advice? And my how advice? Many, yeah, how, how many, many prints? prints? Um, yes, and what size? And what size? Okay, so I have, I have generally three sizes. So I have mm -hmm. a small, medium, large. Sometimes I do an extra large for special occasions. Um, so for large prints, I do something like top of my head. I think it's 38 inches by 38 inches, 38 inches. Most of the time mm -hmm. it's square format anyways. Mm -hmm. And then the one below is 28 inches. And, the, and then the smallest one is 14 inches. So, and they are limited between smallest 50 editions, uh, mm -hmm. medium by half, uh, 25 editions, and the largest five editions. I mean, at the time, I was going by the advice of um, an art curator uh, from the Saatchi Gallery. So I had a lot of help with that because I, I have no idea. So. Yeah, um, I think many people find themselves in this situation when they have yeah. no idea what is limited edition, how many you should have and stuff. Exactly. I think it's... I think you should go with your gut as well as in, I think you should put yourself in a collector's shoes. I think that's important. I think if you are a collector and for instance, if you put your price off for, for instance, 2000 euros for one large image, then for me as a collector, uh, and how would I you know, approach this piece of artwork? If it's five, would I be, willing, be more willing to buy it? Or if it's 10, for instance, it would be more put off. So I think it's, it's important for you to put yourself as in the shoes of the buyer. That will really help you um, to make a decision on how you price your work and how you put a limited edition numbers mm -hmm. to it. Now, yeah. sorry, I would uh, put a question here. And how do you know what kind of buyer you will have? Should you oh, yeah. imagine uh, the kind of buyer you want to have or do you need to make a research or what would be your advice? It's, it's, it's a tricky one, um, but this, this goes down to finding the gallery. I think galleries, they have more advice, they have more experience to advise you. I think mm -hmm. that's the important step to find a gallery that before you even think about doing the limited editions, they okay. would give you... How did you the... find your first gallery? Okay. Uh, it's a tricky, was... tricky thing for many, many people. Out yeah, there. I mean, I think I was lucky because Saatchi found me uh, mm. through the My Modern Metropolis blog. Mm -hmm. okay. So that was 2012. And they actually put my work up on their Facebook without asking me. So, <laughs> so it's kind of okay. what's going on. But it worked out in the end because they, they approached me you know, the day after and said, oh, you know, we, we took your work, sorry, but uh, it's, uh, it was doing really well and we like to have it in the gallery for the, the new platform. So it was like, okay, yeah, sure, why not? Um, mm -hmm. So so I and took they... a lot, of, mm -hmm. yeah, so mm -hmm. I took a lot of advice from, from them and then um, approaching my own gallery, um, I would actually just go on, you know, Google search and search for your local ones first. So for me, it's London. So I, 
uh, emailed a lot of the uh, London galleries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that still would suit me. Like for instance, you do research on their website. You look at the collection. You look at their artists, and then you ask yourself whether you feel like you fit in their, you know, in their roster. Because you know mm -hmm. you don't want to put yourself in a, you know, a Renaissance gallery, for instance, mm -hmm. a contemporary yeah, artist. So and they won't take you. No, it's, it's they won't right. even re read your email. <laughs> no. So it's it's good to do that, and then if you. The more chances or not, you'll find they'll send you some feedback or send you, you know, an email that most likely say, oh, no. Um, but at least when they say no, you ask why, and then they're more likely to respond because, you know, um, I feel like not, not everyone's nasty out there. So they will, you know, talk to all the artists mm -hmm, or approach mm -hmm, them. Mm -hmm. So you find, you, if you're lucky, you'll find one and then you ask a lot of questions about, you know, how you go about things. I'm a newbie. Just be honest as well, saying that you're new. And then that way they will mm -hmm. you know, take you in because I, they're more than happy to take on new artists because they, they, they want new artists all the time because they want new buyers and they know things change over time, new trends. So mm -hmm. new blood will really bring them new business. But and what about now? About when, now? Like, oh, the COVID. Like every other, uh, yes, they are closed. Sorry, say that again. Um, every other gallery is closed because oh, of yeah. COVID. How, um, so now what, what's it, the solution? I mean, there are galleries that are doing online platforms now. Mm. So, for instance, I'm actually doing a show uh, in the 1st of November called the Highway Gallery. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, a runway gallery, not a gallery. Mm -hmm. And they are working with the, um, the, sort of the activism stuff, the, the climate change mm -hmm. work, and it's all online. I feel like, funny enough, a lot of galleries are still open to online. Um, I mean, that's the way it is. I think they have to go online now with the foreseeable future for the time being. Um, so they are still open. People still want art in the in the house because they're, they're stuck in a house for one, so they can't really do, yeah, do anything else. Yeah. Also, Instagram is a good place. Um, there's a, a thing called the Artist Pledge Movement that um, helping a lot of artists to spread the word out. Um, selling work for two hundred dollars or two hundred pounds that's the mm -hmm. maximum limit that is a nice sort of wall that breaking down for for buyers to, anyway to to find new art and to help artists alike um so instagram social media all, all mm -hmm. those things are a good alternative right now for galleries and also um having word of mouth um with friends and collectors mm -hmm. alike trying mm -hmm. to create a network so that's also a good thing but yeah it's tricky to be honest with you um there's not that many avenues at the moment <laughs> Before is a lot of art fairs, but I think a lot of art fairs are now really trying to push online. So I think, mm -hmm. I think there's no reason not to approach galleries because more reason or not, they, they have more time now to read emails. So you have mm -hmm. even more chances of a response. What's your personal opinion of online exhibitions? So there are online platforms which are just like... I like don't know, store. web stores, yeah. Yeah. But some galleries they're organizing online exhibitions like they're like virtually virtual spaces where you can yeah. almost like walk around sort of. Do you think it's an effective thing or should people um, try to get into those or not really? I think the benefit Okay, let's go back to the benefit of mm -hmm. uh, an actual physical gallery that you have the opportunity to be there yourself as an artist to meet mm -hmm. the visitors. I think that's one of the important aspects of really bridging the engagement between your work and the visitor. So therefore, mm -hmm. if a visitor buys your work, then they actually have a, a personal story to tell where they, you know, they sort of retell your story behind the image and they say they met the artist and they feel there's mm -hmm. a, a connection. There. So I feel like... If if a digital virtual platform gives the opportunity for an artist to, to do that same thing, where they can be a live chat or they mm, can be some sort yeah. of way that, of... That's a good point. Yeah, of a, that, I think that's what's mm -hmm. missing at the moment. Because it's a virtual tour is a glorified yeah. shop. So, yes, uh, yes, yes, I, I totally agree. It's yeah. another wall. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a UX designer by trade, so I... I sort of look at these mm -hmm, things in mm -hmm. a very uh, critical eye where it's just it's just another wall for a person to to break down to buy art if it's a if it's another thing to download then someone might not want to care anymore and definitely, just move away. yeah go back to the store it's very different so i believe that if you 
give something special to the viewer, um, mm-hmm. to the audience, sorry, the collectors, then they're more likely to engage with that platform. So yeah, uh, at the moment, from what I've seen, it's not something I would, I mean, I wouldn't discourage people of still approaching galleries because therefore, you know, you, you have something um, to connect to when this is all over or even, um, you know, they having a gallery that can represent you. I feel I still feel that's a plus because they can give you advice on how you approach art as a business from a very experienced point of view. And that's really valuable. Mm-hmm. And what kind of questions do people ask you when they want to buy your work? Because I think that since many artists out there, they are lacking this connection with their buyers. Um, yeah. And you have a lot of experience. That would be interesting to know. What, what kind of questions were people asking when were, oh. they were going to buy stuff? It's, it's usually, how do you do it? So mm. It's mainly uh, about the content of your, your work. Mm-hmm. So you need to prepare to talk a lot about the backstory about your work. And sometimes they, they, won't, they won't ask you what it is about because they are trying to figure out themselves. They mm-hmm. are trying to gauge their own emotions with your work. So majority of the time, sometimes I expected that, but they don't even ask that because they are making up their own stories, their own perceptions um, with the work. And that's, that's almost the tipping point of, you know, between buying and not buying, because if they want it on the wall you know, for years to come, they want to feel like they are connected to it in some way or another. But sometimes I would actually ask them, I would actually fire the question back to them mm, and then mm-hmm. ask them, you know, what, what does it mean to you? What does it say? Before I even tell them my story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then a lot of the time it's actually, you know, on the, the nail on the head and sometimes mm-hmm. it's not. And it's just <laughs> very interesting just to talk about it. And then they take away a story uh, between the conversation between me and themselves, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, they, they, they ask the right question or not in, in that regards. So yeah, they will ask me what's it. Sometimes they ask you limited editions wise. Those are for more of the savvy collectors. They are mm-hmm. the ones that will more likely buy the work and put it in storage as an mm. investment for years to come. But you know, that's, that's fine. And I even had, I sold a work to a 14 year old. So oh, wow. <laughs> 14 year old. I know I wasn't awesome. expecting that. I think she picked five. Mm-hmm. So I think the total amount wouldn't have been over a thousand pounds. But she, her dad said, no, you can only pick one. <laughs> so, so it was awesome. nice. I mean, um, she 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 didn't really ask many questions she just she picked the one where i i see if i can find it i was mm-hmm. i was in tokyo and um okay. i was pretending to be drunk so I don't, th- <laughs> I don't think she knew what i was doing i was on the ground somewhere i might not have it here no but, but i uh, think yeah yeah oh, so, so sorry yeah head. yeah sure so it was her birthday basically and uh, oh, her dad okay. her dad was uh kind of like a businessman so he was telling me that he wanted her to appreciate art Mm. uh, as an investment um, as well as art itself and then by the time she's come of age of 18 and then she'll have a a nice collection of art that she could probably travel Mm -hmm. the world with when she sell it all off so Okay. So yeah. Nice so what I like would like people to kind of get from this is that you always need to know what to tell about your work because yeah. people who want to buy your work they want to know about its creation, how it was created, and why maybe you did this and this and this, and why you chose, let's say, to go with all the natural props and not as stock photos for example, and also that they're trying, when they're buying this, they're trying to tell a bit of their own story through your story, which is a bit crazy, but it's true. (laughs) It's true, yeah, and they they come with, you know, preconceptions of what it is, they they assume they they, they can see what it is, and I think... Mm -hmm. They play in their own but, mind games, yeah. But this is also the beauty of conceptual photography, that you can uh, interpret it in millions of different ways. And yeah. you, as an artist, can never control how your work will be interpreted. Like, even when you go with activism and with uh, important topics like autism or environmental problems, mm. you are putting your work out there. And if the person doesn't do the work of reading what's 
like the little text, yeah. <laughs> then the person can definitely interpret it in any type of way, and you can never control that, right? No, How do you feel about that? <laughs> I love it. It's, 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 uh, yeah. it's the beauty of it. I think they sort of tell me their story, and I, I treasure that because it becomes something, my work can be something else that's related to them. I think that's important for them to have that relationship. I don't want to impose too much. I mean, I'm bringing my own message out there, but for someone else to interpret in in a different way, it become it is it the print or the the image itself it evolves into something else that's um, that's new, and therefore it it more likely to survive time in in a funny way of saying it is is because it's changing itself, it's telling its own stories in someone else's eyes. Therefore, if someone remembers it, then it would. I'm happy that it can sort of grow with mm-hmm. people of different generations, and hopefully, when you know in the future, I mean, the core message might be it should be still there, but yeah, someone else could tell their own stories and have fun with it. It's it's mm-hmm. quite nice to 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 think of it that way, and yeah, it, it takes them on in a funny way a journey um, of of uh, a mind tricks or not mind tricks, but just playing their their own thoughts in their own head. So I feel like story, the storytelling aspect is very important for marketing your work as well. So you're, uh, first of all, a storyteller as an artist because you're creating a visual story, but then you also need to come up with an actual, maybe even written story so that you can market that work easier to your buyers. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I feel like um, if people love stories, uh, you see... you. You see stories in advertisement where they, you know, create something of an engagement to the view. I'm, I'm talking in a very sort of savvy uh, advertiser sense because uh, I used to work mm-hmm. in advertising. So um, I, I used to work in marketing as well. So <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I realized that. So it's, kind of, it's in a very sort of like critique eye. You create stories that that is very more effective, and it, because if someone remembers, you know, what you're trying to say in in terms of stories, then mm-hmm. Then your then your product becomes a very effective medium, yes. and so Perfect. yeah, definitely people love stories. Um, it's not a new thing, you know. You talk people talk about stories for generations, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. if it lasts through time, then if you put that in your work, then hopefully, you know, you want your work to last through time, mm-hmm. right? So it's um, it's definitely a tool that you everyone should execute, and it's also a natural a thing to do as well. Very much, very yeah. much. Yeah, and so it's not yeah. like just again so that people don't get me wrong it's not just a thing that you need to do in order to just sell your work it's not like you have to be like a sellout or something yeah it's just exactly a tool that you're using to help people to understand your work and uh, basically open their eyes to this yeah I mean, again, it's also a genuine thing. It's not something that mm, you, exactly. you do it as a, a marketing ploy just to yeah, get exactly, them to buy. Exactly. Um, because it's truthfully a genuine thing for artists, um, especially conceptual artists, then the people would just fall in love with that. Uh, well, I hope they do. And then that way, it's just... Uh, a nice thing to to really practice in, in, regard, in regards to articulating your story out there. Sometimes I fumble my words a lot in, in the art fairs because there's so much going on. There's a lot of people asking you the same questions. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of anxiety going on. So you really need to sort of, yeah, practice talking um, a mm-hmm. lot more articulately and very more effectively to get the message across. I think that's the skill artists would have to really uh, mm-hmm. practice um, doing um, if they were to think about doing art fairs. Yeah. Simon, it was so awesome to talk to you. Yeah, this thank you. Sunday morning or actually daytime for me. I, I can't believe really... it's almost time already. Oh, it is time. Yeah, it's... Wow. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I want to be respectful of your time. I know that you have a little baby to yeah. look after. I'm and... impressed that you slept through all of this. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so thank you. Thanks, thanks yeah. once again. And my final question to you would be, what do you think makes a good work of art? Oh, wow. Definitely something that you are proud of. Don't care about someone else. Unless you're doing design, that's something different altogether. <laughs> you are, if you're doing art, you're doing it for yourself. As long as you're proud of it, then there's nothing that can stop you. You just do you. You do, do you. Yeah. 
Awesome. All right, thank you. Once again, much. thank you so much, guys. This interview, if you have joined just right now, it will be available on my IGTV channel uh, for you to watch from the very beginning. And I will also turn it into a podcast and it will be available for cool. uh, on any podcast platform, basically. So right, once then. again, have a great rest of the Sunday and the next You week too. Well. And yeah. everyone else. All right. Thank you okay. very much. Bye. So what did I tell you? I hope this conversation will lead you to the realization that understanding your own work is important, both for yourself and for people interacting with it. What else have you learned from our talk? I'd love to know what it is. Please comment or send me a DM on a social platform of your choice. And don't forget to share it with your friends and community. And until next time now, take care.